0: Good morning, everyone. I'm going to get us set up here. In Haiti, we call this degageing it, which means you just make do with what you have. If a car breaks down, you're going to degage it. You're going to go get some ropes. You're going to go get something. You're going to just get tied up, and you're going to make it happen. Uh, if something uh, doesn't go quite right, for example, when I'm in church and on Sunday quite often, um, when worship starts, there's maybe a piano player all of a sudden, someone comes in with a guitar, he sits up there, he starts picking it. Oh, I'm gonna find the chord. Oh, that's it. There's the chord. We're gonna start going here. This person's gonna play piano, hit a few notes. Oh, yep, we're good, we're good. Now we're now we're rolling. And so we pray today that the spirit fall down upon us in the same way. Yes, that's not the way that that we necessarily thought, but the Lord moves. The Lord moves. And so it was a week ago today that I was sitting in a very different spot. Um, I was in the back of a van, bumping down a road uh, with some potholes probably as big as our vehicles uh, for those that have ever traveled to Haiti. Uh, And I was with my family, uh, my 13 year old, my 10, my wife, uh, some of my extended family, my nephews and my nieces and a church family, the Sorheim family. And it was our first trip back to Haiti uh, as a group since March of 2020. And I realized when I was in that trip, and I thought about speaking today, is it's been 23 years to the day, this week, that I made my first trip down to Haiti. 23 years, my senior year in high school. And the journey that that's taken me down. And An interesting thing is up, coming up here is, for the longest time now, I've had one foot firmly in this world and what we would classify as how we live, the way we live in our homes, the way we do school, the way we do our jobs, the way education works, all those kinds of things. I've also had one foot pl- firmly planted in the Haitian culture, which is very, very different. And I stand between two cultures and I hold both ends of hope at times. And that's very hard but it also gives me a really, really unique picture of the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning as I walk into that, one major observation is is that there is brokenness on both sides. It's not brokenness only in Haiti, there's not just brokenness here, there's brokenness on both sides. And a lot of that brokenness comes from money, resources, how we handle things. And I know for a lot of us, once we hear that word, it's like we immediately put up our dukes, like I'm digging in, like, okay, money, let's talk. But the cool thing for me is I believe I've been uniquely gifted and uniquely created to talk about money. I live in this incredibly interesting world that very few can relate to. And so my prayer this morning is as we enter into this conversation is that, I can give you a little bit of glimpse into to God's heart and what He's doing, into the heart of the people that we serve. And the, I can tell you, there's more. There's more. I think so many times we start talking about money, we think we're being manipulated or we're somehow being like, oh, that's. I know you say that I'm going to be blessed if I give more away, but is it really true? I mean, wouldn't I be blessed more if I bought that new whatever, whatever, whatever? I mean, that's right in front of me. Or we feel like, woe is me, like I, I am so not worthy to even have this conversation. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. Or sometimes we're the opposite way, is like, I am so incredibly blessed and You know, almost look at me. Look at at the the, the great things I can do with my money. So I pray today that our heart is that we approach this in a way with our hands lowered, our hands open, to be able to hear what the Lord wants to say to us. So if we can, let's open up our Bibles. Uh, Let's go to Deuteronomy to start. So Deuteronomy 24, and uh, this would be in the Law of Moses, and what this was... Given to Moses for it was for the Israelis to have a covenant with God. And so basically there was, was laws that were given so that the Israelites could remain in covenant with God and that through that they would be blessed and they'd be made known and that God would be made known through them. And so he's giving uh, some of his commands. Um, and so we're going to start on Deuteronomy 24, 19, and 20, 19 through 22. Starting verse 19, when you are harvesting in your fields and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In case you didn't hear it the first time, let's go the second time. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches the second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And in case you didn't hear it the first two times, let's go a third time. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. So what the law of Moses was saying is that, so I see some farmers in in here, and when they were working their fields, is they said, if you go to the corners of your field, leave some product out in the field. Or if you're going down a row and you happen to drop some on the ground, or you leave some this leave it. Don't go back and be the Dutchman like we are and make sure we get every little bit that we possibly can. Leave some in your field. Because that allows for my kingdom to come in your field. Why would God say this? What does this do? So there's three main points out of those passages. Number one is that the gleaning law provided work and required work from the marginalized. Meaning it wasn't that go harvest everything, and then just go give it to somebody that they just can just get it without doing anything. It's no, this is there, this is available, you're making it accessible, but they still have to come and work for it, okay? There's dignity in work. There's dignity to say, I am going to go and I am going to harvest what is there, but there is actually something to go and harvest, okay? So number one, that it provided for the marginalized a place to go and get resources. Number two, the gleaning law required Israeli business owners to create a, a work by specifically leaving profits in the field. God commanded them to say, hey, leave some out there. Leave some out there for some other people. Don't be so, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, that I've got to take everything and control it. Leave some out in your field because lastly, the gleaning law made each and every family business the place where economic justice happened, okay? Okay. What's happened over the last, really since the early 1900s, is in America, in particular, we have institutionalized charity. I run a 501c3. I am not against charities by any means. But we've also taken what we're trying to serve the world and say, let's make it nameless, faceless. Let's not know anything. Let's just give money because then we don't have to actually deal with it. We don't have to actually touch it. We don't have to smell it. We don't have to walk in it. We can just give the money. They go do with it. I can go do what I want. I feel good. And what the law of Moses is saying is in the same field where you work, there's going to be people behind you picking up what you left behind and you're going to be in the same space with them. You're going to collide with them you're going to talk to them. You're going to know them. And in fact, in Ruth, later on, you're actually going to marry one of them. It creates a place where we actually do life together in relationship. And too many times in our own lives when we're walking through this, again, we will give to an institution. We'll give to a place. But when we see a person in need that's right in front of us, we're like, really like, oh, I, I, I don't know what to do. And, and sometimes it's just offer a prayer for that person. Give a hug. Give a smile, know their name. Pull a $20 bill or a $50 bill or a $100 bill out of your pocket, bless them. It doesn't have to be this big institutional, like, oh, well, this is gonna go to this, go to this, go to this, and that's my, I'm I'm a systematic person, man. So like, that's where I go, but it doesn't have to be. That's what the law of Moses was requiring because they wanted where those that needed the help and those that could provide the help would actually be in similar space. So let's move on to the New Covenant, what Jesus said. So in John three sixteen, it's a verse we all know. It's a verse that we have embedded in our hearts. For God so loved the world. So it started with love first, right? God loved the world, but what did he do out of that love? He gave. The love led to generosity. He gave his one and only Son. And it was through his Son and the generosity of giving his Son, what happened? people started to believe. And when people started to believe, then what happened? Eternal life. When we, from a place of love, give generously, the world pays attention. And when the world pays attention, they start to believe. And when the world starts to believe, it leads to eternal life. That's how the kingdom works. So go to that slide where there's the two pyramids upside down. And so ultimately, where the kingdom of God and the kingdom economy is working is that in the kingdom economy, there's to give first. Out of your first fruits, you give. Then you save. Then you live. Human economy is you live first. Then you save a little. And then you give. Right? So give, save, live versus live, save, give. Now, I will state, this is all head knowledge. It's all things that I can grasp my head around. You know, it makes sense. But do I really want to give, save, live? Really? Is that really what's in my heart? Because God is asking and he's requiring more than just our head knowledge. And I think that's where we get really hung up. We all know it in our head. But the problem is, is we all know you can't will yourself to be generous, right? You can't just wake up one morning like, I am going to be generous today. That lasts about this long. Anyone who's ever tried the diet and really didn't really wanna lose any weight, but they're like, I'm going to eat better today. um, You're not gonna make it. I'm sorry, it's just not gonna happen. Same with this. We can know all the head knowledge, we can put it in our head, but at the end of the day is if we don't have our identity and our heart tied to what Jesus is and says and says who we are, we will not be able to do this. So go to that bullseye back there. So a lot of times, again, when we talk about generosity, we focus on outcomes. And outcomes is, really, it's just the first level of change. It's the results that we see. So it's the, the money we would give, you know, if we're talking about losing weight, focusing on God more, having a positive, but there's all these, like, outcomes. Then there's the processes, which are your habits. But ultimately, where we need to get to and what I want to really spend the last part of this on is talking about our heart and our identity. What do you believe? What direction are you going What's the trajectory of your life right now? See, God doesn't demand perfection, nor can we. We will never seek perfection. But ultimately, he's looking at us and saying, what trajectory are you going? Are you more generous today than you were yesterday? Are you generous because you actually want to be generous, or are you generous because that's what you're supposed to do? The thing is, if that's what you're supposed to do, you can try all you want, but pretty soon there's going to be this tension that you can't resolve. And it's not going to last. Who does God say you are? Who do you wish to become? So in my world, I deal with the poor and the non-poor. So go to that slide uh, with the blue, please. Um, And first we're going to talk about identity. Identity. And what I run into a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot is there's an identity amongst the people that I serve that they don't actually believe that they are made in the image of God and they are God's children. The minute that I walk off a plane and I set foot into Haiti, I am put on a pedestal because I am a white American male, no matter what. I have to force and continue to put myself in a position where I'm knocking myself off of this pedestal in order for me to connect with them. Because they think, because where I come from and I've got money, uh, that I'm smarter, I am more educated, I have a better faith, I know more, and that is not true. But that's what they believe. And there's people in our own circumstances that you know that have gone through situations where there's been hurt, there's been uh, abuse, there's been things that have happened in their life and they're carrying around this image that they are not a child of God and somehow God is against them and God would not be for them. When we carry that, it is really tough to live a generous life. But the other side of that equation, and this is the one where I know the Dukes go up real strong because it does for me, and I want you to really wrestle this with, 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 me, with me on this this morning, is that what God wants us to do is to lay down our God complexes and believing that we are made in God's image and that we ourselves are not actually God. And again, I know in our head it's easy to say, I know I'm not God. I know I'm not God. Like, I I get that. I'm not God. But I would ask you, look at the actions that you live every day, how you make decisions, what you do, how you control things, what, what comes out of you and how you view other situations and people. I would say there's probably some God complex in there. I know there is for me. I've had to wrestle with that one a lot. So then it moves on to vocation. So identity and vocation go hand in hand. And the poor, believing that they have gifts to contribute and are called to be productive stewards of creation. That's what the gleaning law was all about, is that people are made to work. Work is a good Thing, and we are called to be productive stewards. Do I see someone that I would say would maybe be poor and do I look at them and say, you are made in the image of God and you have something to share with me? Am I willing to embrace you and what you have to offer to me? And are you willing to embrace me back in mutual reciprocation? Do I believe that they can be productive stewards? And the non-poor, Me. Believing that my gifts are for sharing and not just controlling, and that I am to lead as a servant and not just a master. It's a tough one, because again, I look at it and say, "Well, I made this, I earned this, I had my ideas, I was going to do this, I was going to do that." And the thing is, is anyone that's gone down that road, you realize the brokenness that comes with it, and it's super tough to live a generous life if you're carrying around brokenness and identity and vocation. So I was going to move into Ruth 2, and I, I asked you guys to go home and read Ruth 2 because it's very good, and it shows how the corners of your fields can actually work and what that means. But then I ran into a real-life example of Ruth in the here and now. And so I want to show you a video of one of our staff members uh, named Jocelyn and look as you're watching this and identify identity and vocation. Look for identity and vocation, how he talks about himself, how others talk about him and the change that has occurred in his life around identity and vocation.
1: My name is Daniel Juslin. I live in Mariaget. I, I, 26 years old. Me and my, my dad. Baby, My mom died a while ago, in 2007. Now me and my dad live together, just the two of us. In 2011, I was sick. I had two fevers, and I didn't have means to go to the hospital. As time passed, it got worse. 2013, I couldn't walk. I was paralyzed on my right side. Then, after that, I became paralyzed on my left side, too. Even though the situation was very difficult for me, it's true. I didn't despair that God would keep me alive. I didn't grieve my situation because I know God, He can do anything. We don't have anyone who helps us, aside from any hands. Other than that, our family, we don't have family who ask us how we are living, if we eat or if we drink. In my garden, I planted sugar cane, manioc, sweet potatoes. It's been three years since I've been working the ground. I don't go every day. I think, last week, I went two days. But despite being at school, I try to go when I can. Anytime you have more, you'll have more you can count on. Well, why don't I lose hope? Because I know that whatever my mom or dad can't do for me, what a friend can't do for me, God can. I just work too because I know that it's the work that will advance me. When I have a need, it's what I'm doing that can get me where I need to be. If I don't do anything, I'll stay at zero.
2: It is so good to accompany, to walk alongside people and be able to uh, have Touches in various aspects of life, uh, because the needs go so deep. There isn't just one answer to uh, someone living in poverty. There isn't just one thing that you're going to do that okay, now everything's fine. So that's one of the things I love about the ministry of Many Hands for Haiti is we have uh, such a comprehensive uh, array of ways that we uh, touch people's lives. Jocelyn was identified as a a good candidate for a mobility cart. So he was the first person uh, through the distribution program that Many Hands has uh, to receive a pet cart. And from there that opened up so many other opportunities to him where he was able to support himself. He was able to provide for he and his dad. We continued to uh, interact with Jocelyn and then we had the opportunity to start the raised bed garden program that was uh, geared towards helping uh, people with limited mobility, giving them a a design of a garden that was uh, conducive to them being able to do all the work. Jocelyn is one of the people who participated in the
1: raised garden. He was quite excellent.
2: When I say excellent, he was someone who really had the capacity to learn. It was
1: agronomy director Claudin who showed me the technique and helped me with the raised bed garden. They showed me how I can take care of the plants,
0: to water them,
2: Meant to watch for insects that might eat it. When he had finished learning how to care for the raised garden, he put a garden in his own yard. He kept gardening and increased his capacity. Then he started selling the produce from his garden to make money. I used to work hard to just find one pepper, but now I don't
1: have to buy them because I have them.
2: This is something that
1: can count on.
2: What this shows me is
1: that willingness is very
2: important. Because we know that in everything we do, it's necessary to have willingness to follow through. And Jocelyn is willing to get up early. and pedal his cart a long way to work. work. While he was doing the raised bed garden program, uh, we were making some transitions with our gate guards and our night security staff uh, and scheduling. And so a Saturday gate guard position was opening up.
1: When she came to me, she asked me, could I be available to work at the gate each Saturday?
2: So Jocelyn's story, where he gets up at four o'clock in the morning and uh, pedals his uh, pet cart to Many Hands to do his Saturday morning, Saturday all day uh, job at the at the Many Hands gate. Uh, that's often a misconception, or that's often the perception uh, that foreigners have of the Haitian population is that they're lazy. And I know I said very adamantly, it's not true.
1: (laughs) I'm here to let people in the gate or keep people out. Someone who isn't an employee, I'm supposed to stop them and ask them what they need. And I have the authority to call someone who is responsible to allow them in. I always put in my mind that if I work, it's better for me. I feel it's good for me because each month I have hope. But if I just remained sitting, I wouldn't have made anything
2: know for a fact, when I first met him, he would not look you in the eye and he, talked, he spoke very softly and he just always looked at the ground or looked away from you, just didn't have confidence. But now when you greet him, he always is very confident. He's got a lot of aspirations, constant hope, constant joy, constant looking forward to tomorrow with all the amazing challenges that he perseveres through each day. He he is an inspiration. Having the opportunity to walk alongside and accompany him through these things uh, is a true joy.
1: There's a verse that says, everything is possible for those who believe. This makes me never lose hope in God. What I thought God could do, He did for me, because despite not being able to walk compared to the way I was, now I'm healed.
0: I watched that video. And I realized I almost missed it, myself. 2011, I was busy doing my own thing. Um, God had part of my heart, and again, we're talking about money, but this is really about a heart. Where's your heart? And I was holding on to two worlds. One One was what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go, and one was what I knew what God said of me and where he wanted to go. But I was so busy trying to run by where I wanted to be that I almost missed this. In this past week on Thursday, we had our, our family party. So when I bring my family to Haiti, one of the things I try to do is I want them to experience my family, and in turn, I want to experience their family. So we invite all their families to come to, to a big party on campus. And I talk, and I I share like this, and I looked around the room, and there's 215 people sitting around that room. 215 people that were joy and passion, and we praised and we worshipped. We sang songs and we played games, and I can tell you what, they do a lot better Congo line than we do for a Congo line. But God just gave me a glimpse and He reminded me that in 2011... Again, back to my money and my resources and my power and what he was asking of me. as I knew where he wanted to go and the Holy Spirit convicts. Right now, I don't have to tell you what he's convicting you on because you already know it. If you're sitting with him right now as I'm speaking, you know what he's talking about. And for me it was, am I willing to do as I said in in my wedding vows, that I surrender all to Jesus? Am I willing to do that? No matter where. Do I believe that his life is better than mine? That what he's going to do is going to be better than what I can do on my own? Do I believe that in my soul? Do I believe that with my resources, my relationships, my marriage, my kids? I had a four and a two-year-old. We had a nice house, the white picket fence, the two-car garage, and God said, Tim... I want you to go and love on these people and be available. I want you to make no money, go to zero salary. I want you to sell your house. Are you willing to do that? Is your ways going to be better or is my ways going to be better? And thank God I have a good wife because she followed me. But I said yes. And it's been one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, by far and away. Far and away. Gosh, I have, I have experienced some things that <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Because it really just makes me laugh. At the same time, I have been so incredibly blessed by people. By friends, by families. I had to ask for help. I had to ask. I had no salary. So I had to go ask for people to give me money. For a person that's been so self-sufficient to make money all my life. I've always been able to make money. That was a tough one. But God anointed that path, and to really show me, Tim, where's your heart? Just like if anyone's ever had skin cancer or or something like that, they don't just go and take the cancer. They go and they take the good stuff, too. You know, they get real deep, and what God asked me, he says, Tim, I want you to do this, but at the same time, too, I want you to write a $10,000 check so we can go buy the ground in Haiti to start the work. And we did it. And I don't share this to you today by any means to say, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look at what's, what, what, what I've been a part of or my story. What I say to you is so many of us, number one, we don't talk about money. And we somehow would say, like, what happens there? That's, that's pious. Or we're putting people on pedestals. Bull crap. We need to share our stories because it, it gives power to other people. When our light shines, it shines lights on others. And we need light right now. We need lights in our world. We need to be the type of people that will go out and share our stories with others because it ignites other people to go make those same steps. I don't expect any one of you to go do what I did because that's not your path. Your path is not the same path as my path. You all have your own path. You all have your own story. What God is asking you is, where are you making yourself accessible for in your margins for him to actually come and collide with you? For those in the world that need to collide with you, do you set your life up in a way, in your resources, in your relationships, in your time, in your treasure, in your talents, in a way that people in this world that need you can collide with you in some way, shape, or form? Or do you isolate yourself? Say it's too hard, I'm gonna bunker down, I'm gonna take care of myself, I'm gonna take care of my own. God has given us such an opportunity. And I pray today, I pray in my heart that this message, this service, what this comes across as, is a way for us to go back and reflect on our own story. God, what have you been at work at from the beginning of time in my story? Where have you uniquely gifted me? Where have you uniquely given me promises and covenants that I can cling to as I look ahead? Secondly is then where do I expect God to take me? Who does God say I am? Who do I say I am? Who do I want to be? Third, how am I connecting to that right now? How am I taking where God has been and has been in my life, where God wants me to be and saying in the here and now, how am I going to connect to that right now? And then what am I willing to commit to? It's one thing to be talking about in your head; it's another thing to actually step with your feet. And for some of us, we're all on this journey at different places. But I ask for you today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what's He requiring of you? What's He asking? You know, He wants your heart. And I can tell you this on the backside: if you're living in your calling. If you're living where God wants you to be, there's no better place on earth. The good times and the bad. You can stand and say in all things, God is for me. Who can be against me? It is a powerful thing. And I pray, I pray, I pray that you embrace that. Let's pray. Father God, We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your story. Thank you that you continue to move through broken people, that you remold us, reshape us, that you take our identities, that which you've created us to be, and you make them into something so much more. I pray through our vocations that we allow opportunities for people to enter into it that have need, that we create margins in our lives. Pray for all those that right now are wrestling with a commitment that God has put on their heart, that they, through you, will discern, they will pray, they will seek your face, and they will take that next step. Father, we don't ask for perfection, and you don't ask for perfection, but you ask for a trajectory that's towards you. May we walk towards you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.